Hi, I'm Mark Rosewater, and this is The Men in Magic. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. What drew you to want to become part of Magic? Um, well, I've been a game player my whole life. Uh, my dad's a game player, and he introduced me to games very young. So, I've always played games. Uh, at the time when Magic first came out, I was in Los Angeles. I was a screenwriter, but I was between jobs. And it's a very lonely life writing scripts. So I took a part-time job at a, a store called The Gamekeeper, which ironically Wizards bought many years later. Uh, and while I was there, people started coming in and asking about this card game, which it was like, you know, it had cards and you were casting magical spells. And it sounded very interesting to me. And so I tracked it down. Uh, and... Literally, the first time I saw it, I was really excited. In fact, I called my dad up, and I said to him, "Like, this is it, Dad. This is the, this is the next big thing. Like, this is like what Dungeon Dragons was. This, this is it. This is the next big thing." And this is like, you know, in the we're talking the summer of '93. I mean, Magic had not, while it was starting to make a name for itself, it really hadn't become the thing yet. It was just sort of building. Um, and I just, I, the second I saw it, I was very excited. And so what happened was. Um, I started playing and I, I, you know, I bought a lot of cards. And when the first Duelist came out, which came out in like January of 94, uh, I was kind of underimpressed with it because it was very, there wasn't much depth for anybody who was a more advanced player. And so I came up with the idea of doing puzzles. And so issue one and a half had the first Magic the Puzzling. Uh, and then from there, I started getting a relationship with Wizards, and I started doing more freelance stuff for them. And I kind of stumbled into game design. I mean, essentially what happened was I became friends with the R&D people, and I had always planned to be a screenwriter and live in L.A., and it just sort of dawned on me that, like, this was kind of fun. I, I felt like Magic really was a... I was intrigued by Magic. I really thought it was this fascinating game. I mean, it is my favorite game of all time, and I mean, I, I, I have a lot of games I like, but it was, it really was, it grabbed me very quickly, and I just made this giant leap, and I said, you know, this might be fun. I was not a trained game designer. Before, before this, I, I, I designed games of my own for fun, but it was always amateur, you know, and I wasn't even hired as a game designer. I was actually hired as a developer, ironically enough. Really? Um, in fact, when I was hired, I, uh, the guy in charge was a guy named Mike Davis. He was the VP of R&D at the time. And I said to Mike, I go, you're hiring me as a developer. Why do I think I'm a designer? And his response is, look, we have Richard. We don't need a designer, but we need a developer. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and I kind of like got hired not doing what I thought would be my specialty. And then, you know, I sort of, once I, I was there, I started sort of, you know, like Tempest was me going, hey, I think I could design. And I got Richard to be on the team. And Richard hadn't done any designs since Arabian Nights. And they're like, well, Mark seems motivated. And he's got Richard. And oh, okay. You know, we'll give you a shot. When the years went on and your imprint on the game mm -hmm. kept going, what were the challenges that you saw in Magic from when you started to now? Because there have been lots of sets and things have changed and philosophies have changed on how things go. What has been that... Because you will talk about three to five years ahead in the future. Mm -hmm. Your vision. You always are looking way ahead. Yeah, I work ahead. You work ahead. Yeah. When you first started again, mm -hmm. is the vision you started with when you started then the same vision as now? No, no, no. I, I always talk about the technology of design. 
that essentially, look, we're an 18-year-old game. I've been working for, on the game for 16 years. And, like, with anything, you learn about it, you know? That, like, I, I feel like how we used to design, it's funny because in its day, it was very innovative and exciting. But you look back now, and it seems kind of quaint, you know? And the way I, I describe it is, take anything, you know, take the Model T, you know, that when you look back at the Model T, like, in its day, it was amazing because you're comparing it to horses. Yeah. And, like, you know, this is an amazing thing. But you look at it now and say, well, this is a race car. Now let's look at a Model T. That seems kind of unimpressive. But what people miss is, right, in its day, it was, it was competing against horses, yeah. you know? Same thing, I, I had a background in film. And, you know, a lot of times you would see a film in class. And you're like, I don't understand why this seems boring. And then the teacher would go, no, no, no. This thing? Yeah, I remember seeing The Great Train Robbery was the name of the film. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this seems kind of silly. And, and the teacher's like, okay, you know how when you are at a place and you cut away to a different place and you just understand that it's going on at the same time? Well, that didn't happen before this film. That didn't exist. That concept didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And now it's so ingrained in our culture that, like... To, the idea that it didn't exist, like this this thing that you take as a given once wasn't, you know, is very, that, that's a big thing about innovation is that if you're doing your job, you know, you're doing things that seem so obvious, of course, why, why haven't you been doing them? And so a lot of design has been trying to find those things, trying to make that advancement. And so the exciting thing to me is we're constantly advancing, you know. I feel like at any point in time, the presence seems so... You know, like I talk about technology yes. of other things. Like I remember when I got my first cell phone, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is amazing! I could walk around and talk on the phone." You know, and now I look at like my first cell phone versus my cell phone of today, and I'm like, "So what did my old cell phone, my original cell phone? It made calls. That's all it could do. It could just make calls." You know, like now I feel like I have a Swiss Army knife. You know, it's like I do, I like my camera is now my phone. You know, my jukebox is now my phone. All these things, my my TV is now my phone. And like I look back at the original phone, I go, why was I so excited? I'm like no, no, because in the day, you know what? It was very exciting to be able to walk around and make phone calls. And I think magic design is very similar in that I'm very proud of Tempest. I'm very very proud of Tempest. That was my first design that I led. And I think in its day it was super innovative. But like you look back at now and it looks quaint in that. Like, once upon a time, we designed sets by going, well, let's get two mechanics. Okay, we got two mechanics, you know. They weren't related to each other, you know. And, I mean, the, the thrill of my job... To me, and the reason I've been doing it for so long is it keeps changing what it is. I'm not doing I'm not, I'm not doing the same job every year. Every year I have a different challenge, and that we learn and we adapt. And I feel like I keep getting better at my job because, well, you know, like uh, they talk about um, uh, Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell did a whole book about what makes somebody good at something. Mm-hmm. You know, are they born that way? It's genetics, and what he found out in the end was it's practice. It is doing it. What makes someone good at something is doing. It. And I think his, his the book was like 10,000 hours with constant feedback. And I feel like, why am I good at magic design? I put in my 10,000 hours, you know, plus, and, you know, and I have my feedback. My audience, you know, the audience tells me what they like and don't like. And, you know, a lot of what I do is, you know, do something, get feedback, do something, get feedback. And it's constant, you know, tweaking of what we're doing. You take people inside R&D with your articles. And... You give a lot of game design and theory in general, mm-hmm. so other people could learn from it and yeah. use it. 
Do you feel that's something that you want to give back to the community, the gaming community, by doing this kind of thing? Well, I mean, we've had these conversations at Wizards, which is, you know, you know you're know, you explaining all your secrets sort of thing. And I'm thinking that really what I'm doing, I feel, is I'm educating the gamer. You know, that I feel that, like, I want to take gaming to a higher level. And so part of doing that is educating the gamer. Of saying to them, guys, you should have higher standards of what you expect. You know, and what I said to, you know, to, to my people in my company is, look, we're in a very good place because when we have an educated gamer who expects stuff, guess what? We can deliver that because we, we know how to do it. You know, and I feel like one of our competitive advantages is we are really good at, at your design, you know, and development. And I mean, our R&D department is an amazing R&D department. I mean, I, it is the cornerstone of our company. You know, we have a very strong group of of game designers and developers and people who know how to make games. And I think Magic is on the cutting edge of, you know, uh, one way to explain it is I've worked on other games, you know, within Wizards. And like, for example, I worked on the GI Joe trading card game, and I had three weeks for the design. You know, because it was a tiny game. It wasn't, yeah. you know, and I had three weeks of design. And, I mean, I spent a year on a Magic design, you know what I'm saying? That there's not that many games that have the luxury of resources that Magic does. Like, one of the dynamics that makes Magic kind of click is, you know, its entire economic model, you know, means that people spend a lot of money on the game. But uh, the big plus side on it is, well, we have resources. You know, we, we do amazing art and we have amazing resources of design because, look, our game allows us to do that and that's and I feel like one of the reasons magic is the game it is is it kind of feeds itself and that it generates a lot of revenue allowing us to like put all this energy into it and make I mean magic in my mind is not just the best game it is by far the best game because you know magic has put its 10,000 hours in you know most games don't don't have that I have a unique question do you think the design of magic can help kids at an early age, I'm talking like 8, 9, 10, learn skills that can help them throughout life. Yes, yes. I, look, here, here's my general thought on this, is I think that people look at sports and, and they think of, oh wow, how valuable sports are. They teach all these things, they, they teach you to be physical and teach you how to do this and that. And I think that games are very equivalent to sports, except they're mental. And that what games say is, here's this, here's these mental skills, let's get good at them by working on them, repeatedly doing them. Like if you run a mile every day, at some point you become a good runner. Well, if you do mental processing all the time, if you solve problems creatively, or you analyze things, or you do all these things that games kind of let you do, you get better at them. And I believe when you come to life, you know, we've shifted away from, you know, a physical labor force to a mental labor force. I mean, most people are hired based on what they can do mentally, and I feel like games prepare you mentally. They give you mental skills, you know, and they, the cool thing about it is they take something that could be drudgery and make it fun and say, I'm going to let you enjoy, and essentially you're working out. Games is a mental workout, except it's enjoyable, so people are willing to do the mental workout. But in the end, when you mentally work out, you mentally buff yourself up. You know, and I believe when you go to the workplace, that's good. These are very marketable skills. That, that I, I think magic, you know, and games in general, I mean, I'm, we're talking about magic, but games in general do an awesome job of training people on mental skills, of which, in this day and age, I mean, I believe that that is one of the key selling points of, of an employee is, look, here's my mental capabilities. Here's what I can do, you know. 
One of the things that I've gotten from different interviews from previous pro players is that this not only works on your cognitive thinking, uh, being able to react and understand things, but it also works on things like being able to handle interpersonal skills. Because when you go to tournaments, you're dealing with people from different countries, different languages, and it helps them with social skills that translate into life. Oh, yes. Is that something that you pictured with this game? That it would be able to make make people better people? Well, so here's the story I tell uh, that encapsulizes to me. So I was at Dragon Con one year, many years ago, uh, and I'm in the, the gaming room uh, late at night, like one in the morning, and I see this uh, older woman there reading a book. Now, I don't know, you don't know much about game conventions, but, but usually, you know, 40-year-old women aren't reading books at 1 a.m. in your, you know, in the, in the gaming room. So I was intrigued. So I'm like, you know, excuse me, I just have, I have to ask. What, what are you doing here? You know, I'm just, this, is, this is not a normal sight here. And she said, and then it came up that I make magic. And she says, well, I have to thank you. So she had two sons. Uh, her younger son was very smart, but he sort of could, he could figure everything out so quickly that he was bored and that he was having trouble in school. He was socially maladjusted. And along comes magic, and she's like, finally something bigger than him. He couldn't figure it out. So he got, you know, for, he was challenged and in a way that really provoked him and got him to, to think and not just sort of be bored. And it also introduced him to all these people, and he started making friends and started having social interactions. So meanwhile, his older brother was dyslexic and having problem learning. But his little brother was learning how to play, so he was going to learn how to play. And it, it so helped his reading skills. It so helped him his sort of processing at school that his teacher was like, what are you doing? Can I get some of this? Because it's helping him so much. It is amazing to me. And she's like, so basically, you know, your game took my younger son and set him straight and helped him socialize. And my older son helped him teach. Thank you, you know. And it made me realize that, like, I think everyone wants to do something where they feel they're bettering the world, you know. And the thing I really love about what I do is I feel like I'm bringing happiness to the world. I'm training people in skills that I think are very useful, lifelong skills, like social, mental, all sorts of stuff. You know, and I feel like, look, I can go to bed at night and rest my head on the pillow saying, well, I've made the place a better place. The world's a better place for the work I've done. You know, and that's a great feeling. It's very great to feel like what you're doing is generally helping people. Is there a day... You've, you've expanded magic so much. Magic mm -hmm. Online. You've reached out to different segments of the community with magic. Do you have an end game? An end game? For you, where, it's, <laughs> where, where you could one day step away from this and go, it's in a right place. It's where I envision this thing going and it can go forward. Well, I mean, obviously part of what I'm trying to do is make sure that I'm training other people that have the skill sets of doing what I do. Um, and the great designer searches, both of them, have definitely been a means of trying to find more designers. Um, I mean, one of the weird things is magic is such this strange beast that is ever-evolving that... Uh, that it's kind of tough and that like I've learned a lot of stuff along the way and so it, I'm trying to sort of pass along the information to other people I mean I believe magic will outlive me no doubt in my mind magic will outlive me you know and that I mean I enjoy what I do I want to do it as long as I can but I, I do want to set it up that one day when I, I move on to something else or you know just move on because I'm I'm dead uh, that uh, 
you know, there, there's other people that, that, that are doing what I do. And be aware, making magic is a group experience. You know, I'm in charge of overseeing one part of it, which is design. But uh, development does a very important part of the process. You know, creative does a very important... Like, uh, magic being what it is, is a work of, you know, lots and lots of people, all of which are at the top of their game doing really good work, working together. And that, I mean, magic is constantly kind of... The, the people who make magic, the, if you think of us as a machine, you know, that machine keeps getting new parts and keeps changing itself. And I'm one of the longest lasting parts, if you will, but, you know, we're constantly, you know, changing. You know, the people that make magic is changing as much as the game itself. And that part of what keeps it fresh is we keep having different people come in and out. You know, we have new designers and new developers and new creative people. And, you know, I, I feel like magic will ever evolve that, you know, no one person is essential to making magic magic. And that that's why it will continue because if any one person leaves, look, other people get trained to take that, that place. I have an unusual question for you. Okay. I know it's not possible because of the requirements. Sure. But do you not think that one day, like they mm -hmm. do in football and mm -hmm. other sports, that they have an exemption for people that work in it, like Pete Grozell is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, he's sure. a commissioner. Mm -hmm. Do you think there one day might be an exception in the Hall of Fame to have people like yourself and Richard Garfield and people that, that are the faces of magic? Well, I mean, we've talked about, do we ever want to expand the Pro Tour Hall of Fame to be bigger than that, to, you know, to be a magic Hall of Fame, in which you know the Pro Tour Hall of Fame is a wing of the magic Hall of Fame? And I, I don't know, we've talked about it. I mean, I definitely feel like Magic is much bigger than the Pro Tour, you know, and that if you want to record the history of Magic, there's a lot more people that are key parts of it beyond just the top players. And so we, we keep talking, but I'll, I'll bet you one day we do it. I, right. I mean, I, I think that there's so many other... Like, I love the Pro Tour Hall of Fame. I love the idea of a Hall of Fame. But I, I do feel like there's amazing people in all different works. You know, there's amazing you know, R&D people, artists, judges. You're just... All these people that have invested their heart and soul in the game that were important, that what the game is is because of their contributions. And I would like to, long-term, recognize those and, and see those recognized. Um, so, I mean, I... Look, it'd be, it'd be fun one day to get you know to make it into a Hall of Fame. I, yeah. I, I'll I will not uh, lie. It'd be fun. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, the reason I, I want to do it is I don't I don't think it's self-serving. I, I think it is more that I, I like you am a magic historian. Yeah. I do love the history of the game. You know, I, I use my column whenever I can to sort of you know tell stories of times that people might not know because I, I want to pass along this history. I, one of the funs of the games is the history of you know when we do something. Thing. I like to say to people, well, we're doing this, but maybe you're not even aware, you know, it goes back to this thing. Like, a lot of times I'll talk about cards, and like, well, here's the card that inspired this card, that, you know, people aren't even aware sometimes that like, oh, this was some other card we examined. There's a lot of synergy in the sets you make, and a lot of things that you bring out that challenge the pros. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand there's it's more demographics than just professional level players. There's, yeah. there's the kitchen table people, they call them. Yeah. And they love fun, spicy card. How difficult is it for you mm -hmm. to juggle both of those worlds? Well, it's not two worlds. I mean, the, here's the crazy thing about magic that, that people have to understand. I'm not really making one game. I'm making 20 games, but I'm selling all of those games in the same wrapper. And so, the ch one of the big challenges of design is, you know, I have a guy that loves to play Commander. I have a guy that loves to play 
right, casual, wacky formats. I have the guy that's, that's a tournament player that's playing, and even in tournaments, you know, we have are you a vintage, a legacy, a modern, a, a standard, a block? Are you draft? Are you, you know, sealed? I mean, it, even in constructed, there's all these different formats that matter. And so, I mean, part of Magic's charm is it is you can make it the game you want it to be. And one of the reasons I, I think the game is so sticky, as we, we call it in the game biz, is that you have the ability to personalize it. That if you pick up Monopoly, well, it's Monopoly. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. I mean, maybe you can buy, you know, Blink Monopoly that's matching whatever, but Monopoly's Monopoly, you, you, you know, where Magic is like, well, if you love you know, flavorful things and want to make a deck in which, look, it's my elf deck and it's doing cool things, that's great. Magic lets you do that. If you want to test yourself in the best of the best of the world championships, you can do that. You know, if you want to play multiplayer play where it's a social experience where like, yeah, I'm, I'm playing but I'm having fun hanging with my friends and you know, the interaction's what's, what's driving for me, all that stuff is doable. Ma like, when you open a Magic booster, all that stuff's available to you. You know, and I think that's the, one of the game's charms is its flexibility. That the game allows its player to dictate what it is. That you, the player, are the game designer and you get to sort of dictate what the game is is a huge part of the game. And I, I believe that its longevity is, is in that and that we can do that. Now, how do we balance all that stuff? It's hard, you know. I mean, I try to make sure that every set is a little bit for everybody and not, you know, and, and try to change, we keep pushing the pendulum, as they say, so that different sets appeal to different people so that if this set is popular to one particular a crowd, well, the next set might be more popular to another. Even though, you know, every set is a little bit for everybody. Look, I, Innistrad, for example, is much more, you know, Vorthosian, as we say. That it's, it's super flavorful. Like, you love flavor. Look, that set's dripping with flavor, you know, and that something like Scars of Mirrodin, where we had flavor to it, there's a lot more, it had a more mechanical skeleton than, than a flavor skeleton, if you will. And that, it's not a mistake those were back-to-back, -back, that I like, I had done something super mechanical and then I switched something that was very flavorful because I was trying to switch it up. You know, and like we have stuff planned in the future that you know it's just going other places, doing other things, and that, like I said, the fun of my job is it is creatively challenging, and that is a big part of of, of the challenge. Well, you have given me my time for now. Okay. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I this was part one of two interviews I got with Mark Rosewater at Worlds. It's interesting to get him to talk about stuff related to magic, but not related to what's happening right now, to get his thoughts on the past of magic. The second part of the interview is quite interesting. We have a lot of fun with that one, too. If you've enjoyed that, you can reach me at themetamagic at gmail.com or my Twitter account, which is thebeme, T-H-E-B-E-M-E, or you can also reach us on Twitter under The Meta Magic. Thank you for listening.